Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Jordan Pacheco from the GladChad Podcast. I hope you're doing well. And I have a interesting story that's been kind of brewing for the past couple of weeks that finally reached a pretty good conclusion. We have two cars in the Pacheco family motorcade, and one of them is a 2006 Honda Civic. This is a pretty cool car. It's like our, our daily commuter. We have snow tires for it. Jen and I got it at the very start of our marriage because her car, which previously was a 97 Toyota Camry, uh, through no fault of my dear wife, I should say, bit the dust in a very mysterious way that uh, that we decided to leave behind. <laughs> so we got this car, and it's been okay. Uh, there's just been some some learning things on it as a new husband and just as a man in general. For instance, uh, this year I learned how to change brake pads. I did that on, we have an 07 Outlander, did those brake pads first, so the Hondas was a piece of cake. The battery would kind of be finicky, just need a new battery, these sorts of things, right? But a couple weeks ago, we had a very interesting incident where the key for the car wouldn't unlock the car. It was hard to get it into the key cylinder, actually. And even if you can get it in there, it, you couldn't turn it left, you couldn't turn it right. Now, the 06 Civic is a finicky car. It only has a driver's side door key cylinder to unlock the car. Okay, so if you lock the car and you can't get the keys to unlock it, you're SOL. I don't know why Honda did this. Apparently, a lot of people really don't like this feature. In general, of all the Civics, and you think of Civics as just like uh, crawlers or something, right? They last forever, Hondas and Toyotas together. But it's it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a cluster. So poor Jen locked the car and had to get the fire department. It was a whole fiasco. Had to disable the horn fuse. And so a couple of weeks ago, there was just a huge fiasco with the car. So I'm becoming a little bit of a Mr. Fix-It, and anyone that knows the trope knows that Mr. Fix-It may not always fix it, but dang, he tries. So I ordered a spare part off of eBay. It just needed a new master cylinder for the key. And before I took it into the shop, I was just looking at the part, had a new set of keys, talking to a couple of shops and talking to the people at Honda seemed like the best and the cheapest option if I wasn't going to do it myself was to take it into a shop and get it fixed that way. I'd watched a couple videos on YouTube on how to change out your master key cylinder on, on a Honda. And it's funny because these YouTube videos make it seem like it's going to take only 20 minutes, right? It's always some guy and you know he's kind of overweight and kind of balding and he's just holding the camera with one hand vertical naturally explaining, oh yeah, you just pop off the door here undo these screws here. Oh, I lost one. Whoops. Broke this little plastic tab. Whatever. And bada bing, you're fixed. Uh, it was a little intimidating. I'd say it was an intermediate repair. We don't often get into our door frames. And prior to the two cars we have now, I was driving a 98 Corolla. So as you can imagine, uh, a jump of a decade means there's just a couple more complexities, I think. So I decided to take it in, right? So I had the new, the new spare part, $160, right? Uh, not for the part, for labor, and then it cost me $20 for the part. So on $180 repair, I decided that I wasn't going to fix it myself. I was intimidated. I I got some advice and some pep talks from some of the guys I work with who are very good at with cars, but I just thought maybe for peace in the realm as soon as possible, I could just get this thing fixed. Otherwise, we have to live with an unlocked Honda Civic for the rest of our lives <laughs> until the thing dies. Well, they called me up. It was in the shop a little bit of a morning and they said, well, we installed the new part, but the new part doesn't work with it. So I'm sorry, but haha, uh, pay us and we're going to give you the car back. Well, as you can imagine, that kind of made me upset. 
what's the point of going someplace and paying people to do a job if they apparently can't do the job and they don't really offer a solution? Well, that's not completely true, is it? They offered to do a diagnostic, but it would cost more because, of course, uh, the, the funny thing is shops are just like doctors. When you go, they will always find something wrong with you and it will always cost a fortune. <laughs> so I was pretty miffed and I decided that I wanted to go into the original key cylinder. I wanted to see if I could fix that because I didn't want two sets of keys for this car, right? One for that door and then the other set, which is of course our ignition key as well as our trunk key. And I learned a little bit about locksmithing. I learned how to open a key up. Here's something interesting to realize. Keys are actually a combination of these sort of gates. They're these very fragile, delicate, and small pieces. And they start out wide. And what happens is that when you insert the key, which has the particular pattern on its, on its edges, right, it all snaps into place. And that's what makes it possible to lock or unlock a door or anything that you want. So if you pull out some of those components, you make an objectively weaker lock. But if you have a problematic component, as I actually found out I had, one that wasn't going up or down all the way, it was just getting stuck. The key was getting stuck right there. It wouldn't turn left, wouldn't turn right. You can actually fix a lock. So if you're ever having a lock problem, before you call a locksmith, if you have the time, maybe take apart a lock someday. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And again, there's no magic about it, right? There's no voodoo. It is, it's all pretty hard mechanical science. You, you can actually see where everything fits in. So I did that and I said, okay, I think I might have an angle to do this. It was my original component. I got it to where it would turn left, would turn right, and it was still strong enough that my other key sets couldn't unlock the car. So still just a Honda key, right? And then I had a buddy over. And the reason why is when it comes to car stuff, I tend to think these things are best done in pairs unless you're pretty experienced with doing it. I know how to do oil and brakes and fluids and that sort of thing, but sometimes you just want a little helping hand and a little support. So we set to work. We set out on an afternoon, around three o'clock in the afternoon, and three hours later, with a lot of pulling stuff apart and learning the mechanics of door locks of cars, we put everything back together again. And the key was extremely janky. It would go in at an angle and we couldn't, unlock it we could barely lock it which was weird which is like the opposite of what i wanted to happen so we took out the new component we put the updated old component back in and it just wasn't working again as you can imagine i was feeling pretty low i think this was actually good friday right because i, I remember telling jen um i'm just really going to go to tenebrae and talk to god because you know because i uh i just need a i just need a second really really frustrating Really frustrating when you pay out this money and you pay for for um, for a good or service and it doesn't come to fruition. Really frustrating when you have a desire to do something, but it seems like you're stuck. And in that moment, I really felt like quitting. I remember calling my dad and saying, I'm just going to sell this stupid thing. I don't even want to look at it. It has caused me problems. I'm not having fun. I remember as I was in the car driving to mass or, uh, or to church, I said, wow, you know, I really hate this thing. And I don't know what I was thinking. I wish I had the old Jen's 97 Camry or my 98 Corolla. Uh, woe is me, why is me, yada, 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 these sorts of things. So I went to Tenebrae, beautiful mystical ritual. And I got out. And one of my meditations throughout Tenebrae was from Good Friday to... 
Holy Saturday. It wasn't even 24 hours. They went from Christ instituting the Eucharist, the priesthood, being there with him in the room, watching him say, take this and eat. This is my body. Drink this. This is my blood. They couldn't even stay awake, the apostles, for one hour. Judas went off and betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And Christ knew all this was going to transpire. And in the span of, of not even a full day, he would be dead. All of this history packed into one very, very short time. Here I am, 2,000 years later, complaining about a car. Complaining about $180. Wanting to give up because I feel defeated. How many times do we have some a task, a, a duty, a suffering that we don't want to have happen to us? And so rather than face it, rather than deal with it, we run away from it. We roll our eyes. We... we do our best to mitigate our problems. We push it down in a corner or send it away and we don't ever embrace these things. And so I got out of Tenebrae and I looked at the Civic and supposedly looked at me and I said, okay, well, we can't just sell it tomorrow. Maybe we can sell it the day after tomorrow. But why do I feel so defeated? I need to sleep about this. And so... I got back home and went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and I, I felt good. I, I felt I felt like this was a little bit of a mountain and that if I didn't do this, I would spend the rest of my life wishing that I had. That was a big one. If I didn't just chalk up my frustrations to the Lord and just try to get it done, I would be five, ten years from now looking at a car with a similar situation and going, man, I wish I did that. But all I could recommend is to take it to a shop. Well, I'm happy to announce that about three hours ago, my buddy and I, it's, it was it's Easter Monday when I'm recording this, we set to work again. I realized what the problem might have been. There's a cable inside, right, that connects the master cylinder, loops down, and, and connects to the door lock actuator. It's all very mechanical, very mechanical. And I thought that cable is probably actually a little twisted. It, for some weird reason, is not, is not allowing the key to do what it needs to do. So we open it back up again, and I realized with my friend especially, it took it took 20% of the time to open it up, to diagnose the issue, to actually walk through a couple of potential problems, to open up the master cylinder of the key yet again, to put it all back together. Two hours after we started, I was buying him a drink at the local tavern right down the road. The car works like brand new. The door... Locks, it unlocks, the key locks and it unlocks. You would never guess that there was a problem. It's smooth as butter. You would never guess that the key is weaker than it was earlier. And we sat back for a moment after we'd put everything back together and we were testing the, the, the window and we were testing the locks and a great sense of excitement and joy and resolve passed over me. I could see myself gaining a skill. My joke is always the Xbox unlocked achievement in the upper right-hand corner. You could almost see it right above your head. Now, obviously, professionals are important. It's important to have shops. You can't do every single task on your car. It just might not be worth the time or the money in some cases. But there's a lot that you can do. And it's kind of distressing that we live in a culture that tells us that 
whenever there is a, a suffering, whenever there is an issue, whenever there is a challenge, just to outsource it. It has gotten so bad that if we are even hungry, we would rather pay somebody else to bring the food to our door than drive ourselves or walk ourselves or make a better choice. This is true in the spiritual life. In the spiritual life, we tend to outsource a lot of our pains, our sufferings, and our ailments. I think about with this latest consecration, um, we've been really thinking about what does it mean you hear, did it happen, did it not happen? Does this mean the previous ones were, were true or not true? Of course, I have an opinion. Everyone has an opinion on it. But I'm overwhelmed with the fact that Our Lady has very specific commands, and it's not up to other people necessarily to make them actualized. Obviously, as Lady, we don't just like arbitrarily consecrate an entire nation. This is the duty which Our Lady, by Our Lord's command, has given to the Holy Father and to the bishops of the world. There's no mention of Lady in that particular command. Now, it's important. These prayers are meritorious. They, they grace. They might even accomplish what Our Lady has asked 100 years ago. I don't know. We got to see if we live in a world of peace or not. But what about the first five Saturdays? I haven't started mine yet. Is that holiness? Is that grace? Is that a command of the spiritual life that I'm outsourcing? Ah. Well, there are better, more pious Catholic families and Catholic peoples. They'll get on it. Have you ever started or done a consecration, right? A year ago, I did my consecration to St. Joseph. I am, I am his humble servant. Have you ever started or done a consecration and then you just feel lazy in the middle? Ah, oh, I just outsource it. Somebody else will take care of it. Somebody is much more professional when it comes to prayer. Prayer is the big one. Prayer is the big one for me. It's, it is hard for me to have a dedicated prayer life. It is not my strong muscle. I can read books about apologetics. I can read, I'm reading books about church history right now. I'm reading about the life of Sir Thomas More. I can do that kind of stuff. Regimented sit down for a rosary has always been like, ugh. And so when we outsource it, sometimes what we realize is that what we're outsourcing it to may not be the best option. You, at the end of the day, are the best person to be in control of your spiritual life. At the end of the day, you are the best person to be in control with your relationship with our Lord Jesus. Nobody else. It's our reception of the sacraments, right? The sacraments are the Christian life, as a professor once said at work. The sacraments are the only means in which we have a relationship with God. Everything else, the supplementary things are so important, right? It's important your scripture reading. It's important your daily devotionals, all these kinds of things. But if you don't have baptism, if you don't have the Eucharist, if you don't have reconciliation, the sacrament of penance, if you don't have anointings, what's it all for? The sacraments themselves are amazing because they are outward signs, literal outward signs of inward grace. Christ is in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Baptism does wash away original sin. It puts you in communion with God. Confession forgives your sins upon your soul. And if we could see that, we wouldn't just wait 
for a better pope or a better priest or a better spouse or a better brother or a better confirmation sponsor. How many people do we know? Yo, you hear them all the time. Oh, man. What a bad mass I just got out of. Father, I had to stop Father. I had to talk to him after mass. He was saying that the Eucharist was a symbol. He was. He had a gay, a gay pride flag on the altar. I had a priest. I, I witnessed a confirmation that I don't know if it's completely valid. The priest definitely was not doing the rubrics. And the priest all throughout mass, Jesuit parish, what can you expect? Walking up and down all around the sanctuary. Just because. Oh, just roaming around. Hey, how's it going? Mass is just a big fun cuddle, cuddle fest, right? So we hear these stories and you just go, man, take some charge. Why aren't you going to Latin mass? Why aren't you going to a rited liturgy? Oh, well, that's too far. Sometimes 20, 30, 40 minutes apparently is too far. Ah, I don't understand the language. Ah, ah I don't know what a rosary really. I don't know how to pray a rosary. Mm. I don't know anything about my confirmation, saint. Huh? But other people do, so that's okay. I trust that my priest up there is going to do the right thing. And that's a good thing, by the way. I don't speak Latin. I hope that every word my priest says up there is the right words. But it's my duty to go to that Mass and to adhere to the teachings of Christ and Christ's church. It's my duty to put in a little bit of effort. See? What does the book of James say? Faith without works is dead. It's not enough to simply do a thumbs up to Jesus every Sunday and then just sit back and let the world do its thing. My story of coming to Latin Mass um, for me is, is, is powerful because I was sitting at a Saturday night evening Mass, getting off of work from a gig, I'm sure, and the priest, of course, was talking about the Returning God's Gift campaign and money. And you know how these things work. And not as a virtue, just, just very cold, hard things. And I remember, I'll never forget what he said. I, that's when I realized that I didn't like the fact that the mass had been turned in in this particular moment, turned into just this giant, um, I don't know, this just giant, giant diocese fundraiser, right? Where was, where was God in all of this was, was my question. But the priest leans over, walking up and down the aisle, as you know. Can I tell you a secret? He says. And he leans close. The whole congregation, I don't know how you lean close. And I remember saying to myself, under my breath, I said, Father, don't, because I know what you're going to say. Did you know that our parish has never once reached our goal for returning God's gift? And I looked right up there to God on the crucifix. And I said, I'm not coming back here. I'm not being fed. I want to be more Catholic, not less. So I went Latin Mass. I Googled Latin Mass near me. I found a fraternity parish at a parish in West Hollywood, which is a very, which is like one of the gay epicenters of the United States, doing the latest Mass mature in Los Angeles, a 7 p.m. Mass. And I walked in and I heard an asparagus for the first time it seemed like in my life and I was home. And I always wonder, because there's a lot of thoughts I had about the faith and I'm not a radically different person when it comes to where I usually approach the faith. 
if you had caught me in my Novus Ordo days, I don't think you would say that Jordan is so fundamentally different. But there was a lot of things that I had to sort of relearn. Or, more accurately perhaps, there are a lot of things that for the first time in my life, I saw consistently put in practice. I had heard that the Mass was a sacrifice my entire life, and I believed it. I heard that it was a body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, and I believed it. But to actually watch the priest sacrificing for the people on the behalf of the people and us offering our prayers through the priest ascending through the altar, right? The, the actual liturgy, the actual Latin mass talks about how our prayers are taken. This is the book of Revelation. Our prayers are taken by an angel up to the altar in heaven. And to actually see the priest say those words and really do it changed my life. And so when I went back to my friends, when I went back to what I knew, I knew I could never be the same. How powerful it is when, when God gives us the grace to know him deeper. When you fall in love, Love's a very interesting thing. We're so used to butterflies and, and dates and rom-coms. Real love is sacrificial. It is, it is coming up to our first year of marriage, Jen and I. And if there's any advice I could give anybody, it's especially post the, the honeymoon phase, real love is sacrificial. Real love manifests itself in ways you didn't ever think it would manifest it in. It could be as simple as biting your tongue. It can be as simple as dropping everything and focusing intensely on what your spouse needs. It can be as simple as deciding that tonight's a nice night for sushi, even though you'd rather have a steak or a burger or something. Love, the faith, working on our cars, these things aren't supposed to be just completely easy. Sometimes they can be. Right? Sometimes it's very simple. But all the best things in life, all the growing experiences in life, do not come easy. And it's up to us to make sure that our perspective on them is joyous and wonderful. We could rush into our spiritual lives charging gleefully like knights, triumphant knights down the battlefield. Or we can be kicked, dragged, and scream every time we have to pray a novena. Oh, God help us. God gives us this grace and it's our duty to determine what we're going to do with it. And Christ loves us so much, so intimately, that he made the ultimate sacrifice for us. God, before the universe even existed, looked at all of time and space, looked at the daunting task that was ahead of him, knew that he was going to have to create, or he did create this beautiful world that was all good, knew that he was going to create human beings in his own image and likeness, knew that they were going to disobey him, sin, be cast out of the garden, knew that they were going to worship a golden calf, knew that he would have to destroy the world once over with a flood, knew that Jonah was going to run the other way, know that the king Saul was going to spare Agad, he knew that he would send his only begotten son into the world, not to judge the world, but to love the world. 
He knew that they would reject him. He knew that we would make sure that he was crucified, that he would suffer and die one of, if not the most horrendous deaths in all of existence. He knew that. That is the plan he set in motion and God does not make mistakes. And yet he still did it. He still set forth his divine will. And he knew how difficult it was going to be. And he knew how many of us would fall away and how many of us would not want to put in the work. But he still did it. So, I know this is a very <laughs> kind of funny little video, right? A lot of different ideas and thoughts and a lot of it stemming from the fact that I fixed a car or partially fixed a car. Um, but I'm just I'm overwhelmed, especially over as I've been meditating over the Easter Tritium. I am overwhelmed sometimes with just the depth of, of how much God risked it all for us, how he didn't give up on us long, long before and long after we would have given up on ourselves. So if you're feeling a little hesitant about a devotion, if you're feeling hesitant about a repair, maybe it's, maybe it's not even yet to the spiritual. If you just don't want to do something around the house, if you just don't want to buy flowers for your wife, if you just really don't want to have to open up and scrape the oven, if you really just don't want to spend a little bit more time with your kids, I would highly encourage you to rush into that gleefully, to learn something new about yourself, to fall deeper in love with your stations in life. Everything around us, even the things we complain about, they're gifts at the end of the day. None of this, this, all this, everything around me, this microphone, this camera, light, All of this around me, every single piece of everything here, the clothes on my back, I'm grateful to God for. And sometimes I know how to bitch and moan and really make it seem like I'm not grateful. But God had, in his divine plan, had everything culminate so that I'm sitting here in my own apartment waiting to cook some dinner, waiting to edit this video, asking me, joyously asking me to rejoice in the creation that he has made, inviting us deeper into his love. And if, if there is a devotional, maybe it's a rosary, maybe it's a life of a saint, maybe it's a religious film, if there's something that you've just skipped past, Maybe it's adoration or just a little bit of time in front of a crucifix, morning prayers. I invite you, I encourage you, and please encourage me, let's not be lazy in our spiritual pursuits. If we rush into them joyfully and headlong and strong, they will invite us into a greater reality of Christ's love for us. Those at the end of the day are the things that matter. Our responses to the divine will, our responses to the grace given to us at baptism. God bless you and Mary keep you. Thank you, everybody. I am so grateful for everybody who watches this little show that Rudy and I do. And we've been doing this for over two years now, and it's just, it's been amazing. 
And we are so grateful to hear your stories, to hear your struggles. We've we've had so many great encounters, good godly encounters. We've been able to interview so many people, and we will continue to do so and continue to have some fun. So until next time, God bless you. May I keep you. We'll see you in the next one. Adios. <laughs>